Hi, I'm Frank, by the way. In case you're new, um, it's a little different today, obviously, for more than one reason. Then that's good. Yeah, that'll be fine. I'm sorry if I hop and that makes you a little bit and that makes you uncomfortable. Get over it. I've been uncomfortable for nine days already, and I got a long way to go. So, anyway, so I had bunion surgery, and that's why I'm in this goofy boot and on the crutches and all that. And so Silas, uh, the guy that just read the um, uh, the, the scripture, he's just he's he kills me. So last week I'm here. Oh, this is not good. Okay. So last week I'm here, two days out from surgery. I just didn't want to miss Will preaching last week. We already had him scheduled, which was kind of a cool thing because um, my surgery ended up being spur of the moment kind of a deal, and uh, I already had Will scheduled to preach Sunday, so I was able to do that. So, I, But I wanted to hear Will, so I'm here, and I'm walking around on the crutches, and Silas walks up to me, and he goes, so what'd you do? And I said, well, I had bunion surgery. And I, no kidding, he looks at me, and he goes, well, you're going to have to come up with a better story than that. He says, why don't you tell people you fell off the Eiffel Tower? And I said, okay. So I fell off the Eiffel Tower. And on the way down, I got a bunion. And so... (sighs) Anyway, this bunion thing's been a long time coming. I have literally had it for decades. It's just something that it finally got to the point where the pain was absolutely unmanageable. And um, so I went in and the podiatrist just... The podiatrist just looked, looked at me and said, it's inevitable, you've got to have this surgery. And so I have to tell you, I have a new vision for Arcadia. This bunion has really driven me to God, to the Holy Spirit. I have a new vision. I want to rid Arcadia of all bunions. And, and so please go to my website, gofundmybunion.com. And be a, we'll start with mine. Be a, I'm, right, I'm done. All right. Welcome to Redemption. Yes, thank you. See, I get amens on bunions and hardly ever about Jesus. I don't understand. So we're going we're gonna to spend the next three weeks taking a break from the uh, Gospel of Mark. We are the only uh, Redemption congregation doing this because we are in the midst now of a vision campaign for this, uh, this, this, uh, our transition into our new property either towards the end of this year or at the beginning of next year. Uh, as we work on moving to 3330 East uh, Camelback in a permanent uh, way. And, and of course, in doing something like that, there's always the inevitable discussion that comes up, uh, and that's about capital. That's about uh, how we're going to be able to afford to do this. That's why you have the, the print pieces on, on the um, uh, seats, and we'd love for you to take one and, and read through it. It's uh, very well done. Cody put most of that together, and there's a, there's a pledge card there, and... Um, uh, I, 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 and, and I know there's always tension surrounding that, and so just to relieve the tension, I think you need to know, we still want you to pledge, but we, we actually, um, we have all the funds we need to move. Uh, the problem is, is that they're still in your pocket, so if you could just, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of how this thing works, all right. Um, all kidding aside, I will tell you that since we announced that we placed this property in escrow, which was the Sunday after um, Easter, one of the things that has really encouraged us is we have been genuinely blown away, not shocked, but just blown away by the level of excitement and, and the way that, uh, that people have just responded to this without us even, before we even started putting together inevitably uh, what we have to do the next three weeks, people coming out of the woodwork saying, we're going to help this way, we want to do this. We've actually had a couple of people come and have already pledged um, uh, quite a bit of money uh, in, in the process. If you look on somewhere on the print piece, it says that we're looking for four gifts uh, of $100,000. We already have two of those taken care of, which is really exciting, and we haven't even said anything about that. So, um, by the way, that's a yay God moment. You can clap, you can cheer, whatever you want to do. That's really exciting. So... Um, it's just, it's been, it's been amazing to me to watch how this community has responded in this way. Um, and I know that not everybody necessarily feels that way. It's always a, a challenge to, to go into a transition like this. We've been in this uh, building for almost six years, and we'll talk about the limitations and why we had to leave and a lot uh, why we, we do need to leave and, and uh, find something permanent. Also, um, a lot of people don't realize the incredible amount of money that we actually spend to be here. So people might say, well, why not just keep renting and then we don't have to raise any money? Well, 
You know, we spend a lot of money on this venue here, a lot, and it goes really towards nothing that benefits um, Redemption Arcadia. And so um, I was charged three years ago when I first came here, more than three years ago. Um, here's, here's your job description, Frank, Tyler told me, and he said, oh, by the way, uh, we also want you to work on finding a permanent solution to our venue. So that's, that's a, a, a big part of it. Um, the big idea of this, of this whole vision series is that we are moving in, and I know, aren't we already here? Well, we are, but permanently. We're moving in, and this time we are planting roots rather than dropping an anchor, and there's a big difference. So we, uh, when we originally came here under Justin's leadership almost six years ago, we dropped an anchor because we were leasing. Now we are planting roots because we are going to be owning uh, the close of escrow is scheduled for sometime the week of June 22nd, 23rd. As long as everything goes well, we're in our phase one study um, uh, process right now. And uh, our architect, Jack DeBartolo, is already putting things together. Uh, but, but the idea now is that we're planting roots. So we're moving in in a, in a way that doesn't drop anchor but plants roots. And now we're establishing a faithful permanent presence. We've had a faithful presence um, but it's been a little bit fragmented and restricted by the fact that we're leasing. But now we're establishing a faithful, permanent presence. Um, in, in Eugene Peterson's sort of uh, paraphrase of the Bible, many of you are familiar with it, the message, he paraphrases John 1.14 this way, uh, Jesus took on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. And that's what he calls his church to do, now and has been calling his church to do for the last 2,100 years, that, that wherever his church goes, where, wherever his people go, wherever the kingdom is, that that, that that is where Jesus is. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago with uh, uh, the demoniac who was saved um, in the Decapolis, and, and he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus told him, no, you must stay here, and you must tell everybody about what's happened to you because the only way that Jesus' presence was going to be in the Decapolis because they asked him to leave was for the demoniac to stay. And so Jesus' presence was there in his, at that time in his person. And, and he began to proclaim the gospel there. And that's the job of, of the bride of Christ, of, of his people of the church, is to be his presence in the local community. And so we're going to do this at 3330 East Camelback. We don't have We've got a couple pictures just to remind you. I can't believe how many people have come up again and, and just said, hey, we've driven by the property, through the property, we've walked the property, we've prayed on the property already. Uh, there's the front of it. It's, you know, like around 33rd Street and Camelback on the north side. That uh, building right there that you primarily see is uh, the sanctuary, which is going to be remodeled. We're keeping the sanctuary. It's a little bit smaller than, than, than what we're currently in, but it's really sweet, and it's got great bones, and it's awesome, and so we're going to repurpose it, but keep uh, the integrity of that building. The ceiling is amazing. You're going to love the ceiling when, uh, when you go in there, and our architect, Jack DeBarlow, he just fell in love with the inside of that when, when he came in. Over to the left, you'll see sort of a stucco structure. That's uh, an old house that was on the property in the late 1950s when this property was originally uh, purchased and made for, um, for the church, Biltmore Bible Church, to be there. Um, but, and that house is going to come down uh, as part of the, of, of the renovation of the property. Uh, there has really not been any work, uh, uh, so to speak, done on this property since it was built in 1960, and so we do have a lot of work to do on it. Uh, behind that, maybe if you show the aerial now, it's hard to see, I know, but... Um, Camelback Road is at the top there, um, and uh, it, it, there's a linear, it's hard to see, but there's a linear classroom building right in the middle of the, of the, uh, of the picture there, just to the left of the empty swimming pool, which is also coming out. So, um, by the way, we've had lots of, you know, good suggestions, basketball courts, uh, softball fields, David Massey wants a shooting range, I'm not sure we're going to get that, um, you know, but anyway... Uh, we're going we're gonna to redo the sanctuary, which is that very large building uh, right in the middle upper part of the, of, of the um, picture, and then that long, linear, very narrow, linear classroom building, we're going to redo and repurpose that. Everything else is coming down and going to be reshaped and, and remolded, and then uh, if, if you see the parking there, all of that is our parking, and it's not all the parking. I'm so excited about the parking, I can't tell you. And there's room enough on that property to expand and grow and still have plenty of parking, so that's really exciting. 
We do have a little bit of a retention problem. Um, back when things were being built in Phoenix in 1960, nobody cared about uh, where water was going to go, and so they've always just routed it onto Camelback Road, which is not cool with the city anymore. And so the city will get involved, obviously, as, as the deed changes hands. They'll have some requirements. And you can stand in the middle of the property and look northeast and just see how the thing slopes right down there. And so one of the things we have to do to the property is to actually regrade it and, and have proper uh, retention for Phoenix. It doesn't rain much in Phoenix, but when it does rain here, it's a problem. And so retention becomes a very big problem. And so that's just some of the work that we're going to be doing. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the challenges of renting uh, here, and, and w- which, by the way, I, I don't want you to think of this in any way, uh, shape, or form of, of anything pejorative about this place. I have loved this place as long as I've been here. Many of you have, too. It, it's a really cool old building, and uh, the location is wonderful. We, we tried on several occasions to talk to Memorial about purchasing this property and, and just being here. And they, they, are, they are really determined that they're going to they're gonna keep the property and they're going to make something happen here. And they've made it clear to us that they're always going to want to just lease to us and primarily uh, on a month-to-month basis, which makes things a little bit precarious. And that's one of the reasons that it's cha- challenging. But um, it's also challenging from a, from a standpoint of having that, that faithful... Um, uh, knowable presence in the midst of, of a community. We have had here in Arcadia an excellent weekly presence, but we've had a challenging week-long presence, if you can understand. Our offices aren't even on this property. If somebody wants to just come and look for us, they really can't. Uh, the memorial offices are only open a day and a half uh, a, a week, and so there's really no way to kind of find us and, unless you know where our offices are. And if you've ever been to our offices, how many of you have been to our offices? I know, and yeah, they're kind of tucked away, aren't they? And the reason for that is, is not because we wanted to hide from people, but because that was the very best possible rental deal that we could get on the offices. So you start thinking about occupancy costs of this place, plus the offices, plus the challenge of, of um, of being in Arcadia but, but having a, a really fragmented presence. We've been very missional in Arcadia primarily because of our redemption communities which are so missional and we appreciate the leadership of our uh, community leaders and because um, Josh Prather who is the executive director of Community and Global Initiatives is also one of our elders here in Arcadia and he has really pushed us to be missional in this area. But again... I will just tell you about the ethos of being in a community when the community knows that that you could be gone at any time. They know that you're renting and that that, that something could go south, something could go wrong, and you could be gone at any time. There's an ethos there that just kind of, that sort of becomes a little bit of 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 a latent restriction in the relationship that you have with a community because they're always a little bit concerned about your commitment and your permanence in the community. And so one of the things that this does for us is it, is it allows us to stand up in Arcadia and say we are here uh, for the long run. As I mentioned more than three years ago when I was called to Redemption Arcadia and Tyler um, gave me my job description which is that of a lead pastor and then said also work on finding a permanent solution here. Uh, we went through the undulations of where to find affordable property in Arcadia, right? I mean, it is just wild what's going on here. Uh, and then um, Jack, our architect, who at the time was uh, an elder at Arcadia, he's now at, at uh, uh, his family is now out at the Gilbert Congregation, but at the time he was uh, an elder, and, and he's been the, Arca- the um, uh, architect for m- most of the redemption congregations and plans over the last 15 years and and he came and he said you know it seems as though we're going about this search in the wrong way do we really know exactly what it is we're looking for and what we can live with and we said well we kind of do and he said well how about we do and he said I've been doing this for years with clients what's called a long-range plan and so he gratised his time and took the rest of the elder board and some of the pastors were involved in this through something called a long-range plan. It took us months to do. Long, arduous meetings, but it was absolutely wonderful, the results that came out. Uh, it was amazing how it crystallized exactly what we needed at that time 
um, uh, 10 or 12 months ago when, when we had decided we're not looking outside of the Arcadia area anymore. We've given up on that. God's going to somehow move inside the Arcadia area and do something for us. And the long-range plan said for a congregation our side, here, size, here's what we need. Um, and by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that, this, th- that we're going to get this. It just means this is what we need. And now God has to do his job, which he's done. He said, the long-range plan said we need three to three and a half acres. The property we're buying is three and a half acres. We need uh, uh, four to 27,000 square feet of building space. We're going to have just under that, but we're going to have the ability to uh, expand to more than that. But we're, we're going to have something that's usable and, and doable. Um, and and uh, then, of course, it has to be at, a, at, a, at an affordable price, which then that's, that's really where God comes in. But also, thinking about... Uh, three to three and a half contiguous acres that are flat in Arcadia. Again, if you know this area, drive around. That's really hard to find, uh, unless Sam Fox already has it, So, and we couldn't seem to pull a deal with him. He didn't want a church inside of his stuff, although we wanted to be inside of his food, so that was nice. Anyway, um, so it's just unbelievable how God has worked in the midst of this. I... I, I uh, Paul tells us all the time. Jesus tells us all the time. We're, we're told all the time in Scripture to remember what God has done so that that helps encourage you and gives you faith and perseverance for the, for the future. And as we head into this, this idea of actually moving in and, and once again, uh, this congregation being faced with transition, we have to remember how faithful God has been and, and, and what He's done. And so this property... Uh, like I said, could not more perfectly fit what we're looking for, except perhaps we would have liked a slightly larger uh, sanctuary. Uh, but it is, I, I have to tell you, it's really, really hard to be picky in this neighborhood, right? It, it's really hard to say, here's our list of 150 things, and we're going to make sure we get all 150 things uh, on that list. And we want it at a price that is 70% below market value. Because that's what Biltmore Bible Church did for us. We, we, we are paying uh, one point, yeah, isn't that something? We are paying $1.1 million for the acquisition of the property. This property has been appraised for obviously different uses, multifamily, at about $4.5 million. So, uh, but their vision was that the gospel legacy would continue on that property. They were planted originally by Bethel, Bethany Bible. They were involved in the planting of Camelback Bible and Scottsdale Bible. They have a long and rich history that includes uh, a guy uh, like Larry Wright. Some of you know uh, that name. Um, and, and Larry was Tom Schrader, our founding pastor's um, uh, spiritual father. So just really just uh, some amazing thing. And again, think of the, of the parking. We have, a, we have a wonderful opportunity now to stand... <laughs> so, you know, when you're 56, you don't get excited about that much anymore. So parking, you know. Uh, but we have the opportunity now for a week-long presence, not a weekly presence, for a faithful presence. We have the opportunity to now stand on the shoulders of people who have planted the gospel roots in that property. Now we get to throw our roots down there and stand on the shoulders of, of what uh, they have done. So one of the questions, of course, is, well, why? why? Why is this so important for churches to do this? Why is that? Well, it's because the church is God's mechanism to reach a lost and dying world. This is how he's chosen to do it. And if you understand the uh, narrative arc of the Bible which we talk about quite often, it it can be defined in four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation is Genesis 1 and 2. Fall is Genesis 3. Uh, Redemption is Genesis 4 through Revelation 20. And then restoration is is Revelation 21 and 22. So um, a lot of people ask all the time, if God is such a good and loving God, why did he create a place with so much suffering and hate and violence and all that? And the answer is he didn't. Uh, he created paradise, he created goodness, and, and we broke it. Uh, human beings broke it. We're responsible for the brokenness. Uh, but that redemption then comes through a faithful gospel presence. Uh, Jesus, uh, the incarnation of Jesus, the incarnation of God in Jesus, and then the incarnation of Jesus in his people, in his bride, as uh, they go out as a means to carry out his mission and his vision. And ultimately what the church needs to do is to gather and to scatter. Um, a lot of people are really all about the scattering, and that's great. Uh, but, but you need to also gather. That's an important part. In, in order to be equipped 
Uh, and in order to have uh, community and in order to have flesh-on-flesh relationships, which is, that's a metaphor, by the way, but you understand what I'm getting at. Um, you, you need to be able to gather in order to be equipped and ready to scatter um, with, with, a, with a genuine vision of, of what the church is trying to do in that community. There are also, though, people who, who really like the, the gathering part of it, but they're not so much on the scattering part. So there are people who are just so excited that we're going to have a place permanently to gather, but you need to be reminded that the idea is that we're going to be gathering in this place so that we can be equipped to scatter. Because Arcadia needs the gospel just like every place else needs the gospel. Uh, I know it's hard to understand and believe for some of us, um, especially if we're, we've been around this stuff for a long time and maybe you have Southern Baptist roots like I do, but one of the greatest mission fields in the world is the United States. We need the presence of the church and the gospel here, right here. And so we have to come together, gather, so that we can be equipped and encouraged in order to scatter. Uh, we need to understand that the local church is God's hope and vision embodied in His people for that particular uh, community. And the local church has a a great number of calls on it and any number of calls, but perhaps the one that embodies all of these calls is this faithful presence uh, in its community and its context. And with this property, God has given us this uh, wonderful opportunity to demonstrate his faithfulness and to give us a a new start um, in an area that's completely priced out of the church business. It just is, but is in desperate need of, of good gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming, missionally and outreach-focused churches like uh, Redemption. Uh, I will admit that, you know, the the search, gosh, it was so time-consuming and at times could be so desperately frustrating. Um, There were times when we were were actually considering what I would say, what I would call settling, you know, for something, just kind of settling for something that was good enough and then, and then wisdom would prevail and we would just pull back and we would wait on God and then God decided to show off. He decided to show off and it was awesome when he, when he did that. Um, and it just reminds me of, of Genesis 2 when, when God looks at Adam in, in the garden and, and he gives his first malediction in the Bible. And uh, he, it's the first time God says that something's not good, and it's not good that Adam would be alone. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him a, a helper, a, a complementary partner uh, for him. I'm going to make this. I'm going to create this for him. And if you know the narrative, it's really interesting because then the narrative sort of takes this weird, right? It just goes off. And, and so he says, I'm going to create something for you, Adam. And, and he says, uh, so I'm going to bring you everything that I've created, and you have to name it all. All the animals, all the fish, all the insects, everything. You've got to name it, which I imagine took probably a thousand years for him to go through and name everything, okay? Um, and then we find out a little bit later in the narrative that as he was naming everything that God had already created, what was he also supposed to be doing? Looking for a mate. And nothing measured up. Nothing in God's good, perfect creation could measure up for what Adam needed. And so... Not a, there was not a suitable partner that was found for uh, Adam. And so God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and he took one of his ribs and closed up that place with flesh and, he, and he, out of the rib he fashioned this woman. And then Adam woke up and he brings the woman to him. And what's Adam's first response? Hebrew poetry. He just breaks out in poetry. The first time he sees his wife Eve, he breaks out in poetry, guys. Guys, those of you that have a woman, is that your first response when the first time you saw your woman, did you just break out in poetry? I'm having a class after church today about how to do that. I don't know. I don't know. But poetry, poetry. It's, it, it, it was God showing off to Adam. God, God has always got a plan, and, and as hard to understand as it is, it's always better than ours even though we think we've got it uh, figured out. So pretty exciting there. Uh, I want to mention this because this is always important. The last thing we're trying to do is take over the world, but we are trying to be faithful in our local context. That's what we want to do in Arcadia. And and one of the things that's really cool is is to be a part of a bigger church body, Redemption Church, with nine and soon ten congregations. Um, 
that, that allows us the resources and the network to be able to pull something like this off. Uh, the acquisition uh, price of $1.1 million is 500000 up front and um, 600000 over 10 years. And of that 500000 up front, 175000 is what our congregation has accumulated in um, overages over the last three years uh, that we're putting in that. And then um, because Redemption has some cash reserves, they are able to come in with that other 325000 as a as a loan to us to be able to start the acquisition. So uh, we wouldn't be able to do that if, if we were on our own. So um, that's really um, exciting. So we're moving in. We're planting roots and establishing this presence. Um, and, and, and again, I, I, I'm just going to... A lot of things I'm just going to keep repeating. It's a week-long presence, not a weekly presence. Start of, part of stewarding this gift well is, 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 uh, is using the property full-time. That means that we're going to be looking for other people to partner with on this property. Uh, and let me, make, let me be very clear about this. We've already been approached. Even though the property isn't out of escrow, we've already been approached by people who want to be tenants in there during the week in some way, shape, or form. Uh, what we're really looking for is people we can partner with uh, so that we can um, have a common or at least a, a, a complementary vision and mission on that property. We don't want just a tenant. We want somebody that we can actually uh, work with together in, in the proclamation of the gospel, whatever that might be, whether it's a school or, or some other thing. We're, we're better together as part of the gospel. And, and I'm, I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite preachers. By the way, if you don't listen to this guy, a lot of you guys do podcasts and all that stuff. If you're not listening to this guy, you might considering dropping your least favorite guy and, and putting this guy on your list. His name is J.R. Vassar. He's in Dallas. Any, any J.R. Vassar? Okay, there's one back there, my brother. Oh, is that Luke? My eyes are 56 years old. Thanks, Luke. Okay, so... Uh, he's really, really good. And, and, and he said this recently in a sermon. He said, I think the early church leaders, meaning the first and second uh, ch- century church leaders, I think the early church leaders would be shocked to find out that the 21st century church meets only once a week. You know? And that's why we think community is so important. So how all this got started, uh, I've already talked a little bit about Genesis. Just give me a few more minutes in Genesis. It got started with, with uh, the goodness of creation, the created order, what God did in Genesis. And as I, the more I look at Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, I, I spend so much time in those three chapters because they're critical to understanding the rest of the Bible. If you don't understand creation and fall, it's really hard to understand that redemption story from Genesis 4 to Revelation 20. But as I look at, at, at the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, this is really the heart of God that is expressed in reality. It's His heart what he desires expressed in reality. Let me read again that passage for you that um, uh, Silas read. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And I want to pull a couple of things out of this. Uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. A lot of you hate creeping things. God created those too. They are fallen with sin though. Just remember that. They're, they're little sinning cockroaches and creeping things. But God did create those originally good. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue is really important. It doesn't mean have dominance over it, but steward it well. And, and, and I'm giving you these resources in trust for you to manage them well under my management. So subdue it under my lordship and have dominion. Again, manage it, uh, steward it under my um, lordship over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. You see in there that, that God has made us as image bearers of Him. We're image bearers. This is why we take uh, not only the, the proclamation of the gospel so seriously, but also the living out of the gospel so seriously because um, even if somebody doesn't know Christ, we have to be reminded that they are image bearers of God. And when something bad happens to somebody who doesn't know Christ, we should still be concerned and we should still be uh, wanting to be involved because that's something bad happening to an image bearer of God. You and I are all image bearers of God. Every one of us. And, and, and every one of us 
Uh, every, everyone who is not yet in Christ is still His creation and His image bearer. And, and so we need to um, be part of that redemptive plan through the church. I mentioned already we're also stewards. In, in fact, one, one scholar uh, writes it this way. He says, we're lords. He created us as lords. Yes, under His lordship. But we were created as lords. We're lords of His resources. Everything that He's given to us. I was, remi- I was at a ah, something, I don't know what it was, but I was with a group of guys and somebody reminded me once of something that I said to him when he was wrestling with you know, this idea of how much money he should be giving to his church. He wasn't attending um, uh, my church. And, and I said, oh, I, I remember it was Bruce. He attends Scottsdale Bible. Uh, anyway, um, kidding, just kidding. Um, but uh, we were talking about it on a hike and, and, and he said, I remember what you said to me as I was wrestling with how much to give. I, I said, you know, the, the, the question isn't how much of your money do you give to God? The question is how much of God's money are you going to keep? And then you begin to look at it that way and recognize that we are His stewards and lords given these resources. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are beneficiaries to become benefactors. And of course, uh, Paul says also that we are, in fact, not just image bearers, but we're the pinnacle of His creation. We're His masterpiece. Uh, you look at Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, and you, and you see that that language where he says that we were created to be his masterpiece, not so that we could sit around and go, look at us, we're God's masterpiece, but so that we, were, we would do his good works that he, God, had prepared in advance for us before we were even born. That's an amazing passage. Write it down and look at it later. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. We are saved by His grace through faith. And this is not of anything that we've done, but it is by His good favor upon us. But we were saved because we're His masterpieces because He has given us works to do that He knew about well before we were born. That's the sovereignty of God. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And then that allows us again, as I said, to be be beneficiaries of his blessing so that we can then be benefactors. We are blessed to be a blessing. We, we have been given the gospel so that we can proclaim the gospel. And then one other little passage, and then I'm going to invite uh, some people up here to have a little talk with you, and then I'm going to kind of wrap things up, and it's Genesis chapter 2. Uh, these have actually, in many ways, become my favorite verses in the Bible. I just keep looking back at them. A lot of you have gone through premarital counseling with me and you know the heart that I have uh, for these two verses. This is after um, Adam gets done with his poetry and his awe of, of the woman, that, of Eve, that God has brought him. And, and verse 24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's covenant and consummation language there. That's, that's, that's the relationship that we have um, in marriage if if you are so gifted and wired by God to be somebody who's married, that's the relationship that you have. But more importantly, it's a picture of the relationship that you and I have with God. That, that, that we, are, we are actually with God. We are partnering with God. He, he is in relationship with us. And that relationship is based on a covenant that, that He gives to us. And that's the amazing thing about this covenant. In the marketplace, when we covenant with each other, we covenant with each other. We say, okay, I'm going to do this if you do that, and then we have this covenant or a contract or whatever. And God's covenant is, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. That's it. I'm going to give you grace and favor through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to save you. Not because you asked to be saved, but because out of my love and my mercy, I've come and done that. That's covenant language, and it's consummation language. We, we come together with Him and we are part of his kingdom. And then, this is the epitome of paradise, not for the surfacey language that we get here, but for how deep this language really is. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. And, and obviously, they were physically naked and not ashamed. They had nothing to hide from each other. There was an intimacy and a trust there that had never been violated and that was pure, like we've never experienced but desperately want in our lives. But it goes deeper than just that, that physical nakedness. It's, it's, it, it goes into this idea that, 
that there's, like I said, this intimacy that we desire with other people but struggle to have. How many of you, we, we, we so desperately want to trust people but find it so hard? Why? Because people violate trust. That's the result of the fall, which we'll look at next week, Genesis 3. That's why we can't, that's why we struggle to trust people is because of the the entrance of sin into the human equation, the corruption that it brings, not only on us, but on all of creation and all of our uh, relationships, all of our lives, on everything that we see. And so it makes it very hard to trust. And so I look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And and that's a picture of what uh, God's kingdom really looks like, not just the man and the woman, but everybody in his kingdom living with God under his reign, lords under his lordship, and, and the intimacy and trust and community and authenticity that we can have there. And that's actually what the gospel is beginning to redeem us to. That's the story of Genesis 4 through Revelation 20. It's beginning to redeem us back to Genesis 2.25 and ultimately that takes place in the restoration in Revelation uh, 21 and 22 with the coming of the new Jerusalem and everything is restored and we finally have this. We are naked and not ashamed. There is no more hiddenness. Imagine living in a world where there's no more hiddenness. Guys, we don't have to hide stuff. Ladies, we don't have to hide stuff. We're all, we're all hiding something. Guys hide different things than women, generally speaking, but we're all hiding something, aren't we? So, so uh, let, just show of hand if you want to tell us what you've been hiding. Never mind. But you all, you all get the point, right? We're all hiding something, okay? That's the whole idea of, of clothes. And, and, and in the midst of that, we're, we're yielded to each other, that perfect paradise that Genesis 2.25 we're yielded to each other and we're generous we we recognize that everything comes from God and of course there's there's community there's this wonderful wonderful community so God is God has started this this whole thing with this goodness this purity this paradise and and his church is his mechanism to be used in a local context as the incarnation of Christ and Christ's presence to be able to to go out and tell people about what they're what they were created for and what they're missing and what they're going to have in the future. That's essentially what it is. And so now, um, we're going to do something a little bit different for uh, the next uh, 12 minutes or so. We're going to have Cody come out and he's going to talk to a couple of people who have been around Arcadia for quite some time, Rachel Dahlman and and Aaron Bear, and and then I'll come back up and kind of wrap things up, okay? You guys can sit right there, or I'll just sit in Frank's spot. That works. Um, as it relates to Arcadia, um, before we, uh, as we've been thinking about kind of what it is that we're called to do as a church, part of it is is also, uh, in part of what we do on every Sunday is we recognize the goodness of God. We recognize the goodness of God, that he and his attributes are good. And as we look around and see the created order, we recognize that he is good. Um, and I think as it relates to Arcadia, what, one thing that strikes me is our, Arcadia and the area surrounding it is a desirable place to live. It's a place that people are trying to get to or people are trying to go to. And I think that some of that reason is if you really peel the layers back, it's because there's elements of Arcadia that bear the image of God. And that to people is appealing. So I'd like to start with you, Aaron. Um, tell me a little bit just about kind of how you see God's image bared out in Arcadia and how you see his goodness here. Yeah, totally. And I'm sorry you lost your voice here, Cody. I didn't know I was going to be interviewed by Diane Rehm today. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> NPR joke. Uh, anyway, um, uh, no, I... I I, I work in the Arcadia area. I actually work uh, right across the street. Uh, my wife, Maria, and I, we've been coming to uh, Arcadia for about two and a half years, and she's normally up here playing piano and singing. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm down here all the time. I, I spend my, my weeks in Arcadia. And um, I, there is, to, to your point, what, what Frank was talking about, there is so much good in this area. And, and as I was thinking it through, there, there's really three things that stand out to me as genuinely good and I could see um, God's image and, and 
uh, God's character uh, in Arcadia. Uh, one is just, and this might sound a little weird, influence. Uh, there is a lot of cultural influencers uh, in Arcadia um, and in the Arcadia area, maybe stretching outside a little bit. I mean, first and foremost, that, that intersection of 24th Street and Camelback um, is a business central, um, and, and almost all things financial in some way or another will flow through there. Um, and I know a lot of times w- we get a little uncomfortable talking about, um, talking about business, talking about uh, that type of influence because it's so easy to fall into greed and, and, and those types of things. Um, but God does a lot of good through those things as well. He helps families sustain themselves. Um, those are the, the cultural pillars um, that help direct the way um, our, our city, our area goes. Uh, and so when I'm thinking about Arcadia, there's, there's, so much, there's so many people that are involved in that. There's so many people there uh, in that sort of financial area. There's also, uh, you know, the education area in, in Arcadia is so huge. There's, you know, Great Hearts, Veritas right down the street. There, there's so many other different schools uh, that are in here that are doing so many great things in, in education. And then there's, of course, uh, great eating and craft beers at Oso. And if that's sort of a central uh, pillar to the Arcadia area. Um, so, so, so there, I mean, there's cultural influencers there and, and, and so many good things there. The other thing, though, as, uh, that I think about with, with Arcadia is uh, just the community. You know, Phoenix is a massive, massive town. I, I, I'm from Ohio. My wife and I are from Ohio. Uh, and, you know, from an inner city area, and, and, but there was a lot of uh, closeness in, in where I was from in Youngstown. Um, and so coming to Phoenix, though, uh, we were, it's much larger than anything we knew, and so we, we were just sort of blown away by the massive size of the city. But Arcadia is a community unto itself, and, you know, working down here, I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of my days at the different uh, coffee shops and restaurants and meeting with people and connecting and all those things, and um, you see the same people. And, you know, it, it, for, for Phoenix being so spread out, people actually walk and ride their bikes here um, and, and get to know their neighbors. And, and so that community... Um, in Arcadia is unique to Phoenix um, and is so special. Uh, and the third thing that I see with Arcadia is, um, especially if you're stretching a little bit outside, even down in this Thomas area, is there's, uh, there's different cultures that are in here. So, uh, so you have your sort of, uh, you have your business area, but then you also have a strong Hispanic representation in this area. And then we also have the refugees that we work with. Um, and, and so obviously there you see so much goodness in in the way God created us all different, but all together in one community and then how Christ binds us together uh, in that. Uh, so there is just, to, to the point, there is just so much about Arcadia um, that glorifies God and that is, is good for us to be a part of. Thanks, Aaron. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's exactly kind of where I see the goodness of God played out in this area. Rachel, I want to turn it to you and have you kind of answer the same question. Where do you see God's image born in the Arcadia area, and how do you see his goodness? I would have to agree with Aaron that I definitely see goodness in the culture within Arcadia. I know one of the things that definitely brings me to Arcadia is the food and the restaurants. Um, there's so many, so many good restaurants and so much good food, and I love good food. And it is also Amen. centrally located, so if I am meeting up with friends or with colleagues, um, it is a central place to meet, and I'm often uh, can be found at the Henry and enjoying good food. And um, it, it spurs community, which is definitely... Um, something that God created us for, to have community with one another. And being able to do that um, over food definitely reminds me of God's goodness and God's creation. And then the second thing that really stands out to me is nature and being able to see God's goodness in his creation. Um, And I get to see glimpses of his creation without defect in nature. Um, One of the things that I enjoy doing is hiking. So hiking Camelback and just exploring his beauty, whether I'm doing that in community um, or by myself, I get to be present to God's goodness and um, how creation really sings and worships him and his glory in nature. And how have you seen, because you guys are both part of your or RCs and um, it's kind of the community that's come out of that. How have you seen, I guess, even your presence of that community 
within the city kind of show God's image, both your, your RC and just the way you guys have inhabited the city? Oh, totally. I mean, I think uh, redemption and, and the way this church on the whole um, approaches uh, community reflects what's great about Arcadia, um, that we are about um, just living life together, going out to eat, going out to coffee, hanging out, going hiking. Um, that, that is gen- genuinely the way um, redemption has approached it. We've seen that in RRC, um, which, no offense to the other RCs, is the greatest of all RCs to ever be created. <laughs> Shout out Furman's and Barcelona's. Um, but uh, we've all, you know, also, too, when I think about sort of the DNA of, uh, of redemption, I, I definitely, I, I see... I, one story that really shows this to me was I got the opportunity to go with Frank and some of the elders over the new property and look at it. Uh, and one of the, we, we were looking at, okay, what are we going to use the different spaces for, all that. And Frank and, and Prather and, and, and uh, Massey wasn't there, but they, they were really adamant that, you know, we really don't need our own offices. We don't need a big office space, that kind of thing, and, which, which is different to me. You know, I, working in an office all day, I want my own office. I need time to think, all that. Um, but the, the, way, the way these guys were talking about um, their, the way they want to approach and continue to have community here um, was that, look, we, we, just, we need a little space for all of us to get together, but we want to be out in the community. We don't, we don't want to be huddled up and closed off in our offices. Um, the, the way Arcadia is, the way Redemption is, is we're out meeting with people and we're out, um, out in the community with, uh, with our neighbors, um, which, again, is just so central to um, the way redemption is, is which is awesome about it. Um, I'm not sure about that, Aaron. I'm part of the Braithor community, <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. Uh, it, it's an opportunity for us to come together and invest in one in, one another, and um, it it just gives us that extra place to get together and learn about each other and learn about Christ and see God's goodness and have that to go take into the marketplace where we are spending the majority of our time. And it's also a place that we can bring people who don't yet know Christ and it's not as intimidating as maybe coming into church where um, we might be gathering and having um, uh, wine or we might be having dinner or we might be out in the community learning um, about the needs of our community and learning how how we can um, invest um, the gifts that God has given us back to the community. So that's how I see it. So apparently alcohol is a very big part of what makes Arcadia great. It's communion um, wine. It's, community th- brings people together <laughs> and tears them apart. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, well, thank you guys so much for sharing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, like I said, one of the things we do every single week is we begin our service not by saying we are sinners, not by starting with the fact that this world is broken, even though that is true. We start by saying that God is good and that his creation was good. And what is so great about that, and I think you see his love and his grace in this, is that despite the brokenness of sin, we still see his image. His right. image is very clear. It's very compelling. It's very beautiful. So when, like, when you walk into the Henry or LGO or, or you're, you're going down the Greenway at 48th Street and you see people interacting, you see people, friendships forming, you see neighbors coming together, you see barbecues, different things like that happening, that's appealing because that's something that God intended mankind to do. That's something that is a reflection of who God is. God is a God of community. And so when we see things like that, when we see the influence that um, the Arcadia area bears when we see the um, uh, the nature and the fact that we live right next to Camelback Mountain and a number of other places we, we see this played out and we see that God is good and, and so one of the things that we're, we're we want to communicate at this church is part of what we are here to do is to accentuate the beauty of God in the Arcadia area that we want to take what God has made that is good that we see here and reflect that and show that and model that in our own community. Well, thank you guys so much for being up here. I'm going to pray, and then Frank's going to come back up and share a little bit more. Heavenly Father, we, God, we, we just worship you. Lord, we thank you that we live in a world, Lord, that we live in, in a neighborhood, in an area where we can see your goodness. Lord, we can see... The, the beauty of what you've made, 
just just all around us, Lord, not just in the the nature and the, and the beauty of this area, but also, Lord, in the relationships and the way that you wired people to connect. Lord, you've wired people to come together, um, to create, to um, to show um, influence and, and intuitiveness, Lord, and ingenuity. God, we, we love that we get to see just just a glimpse of your goodness here, Lord, and we pray that we as a church can respond to that, Lord, first and foremost with worshiping you, and secondly, Lord, by reflecting that and living that out, Lord. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. As um, Aaron and Rachel, kind of especially Rachel with the hiking, we're talking, I'm, I'm reminded I, I did a study once on on how God's goodness is seen. God created us with these five senses, you know, and we are able to experience God's goodness through those five senses. And, and just go and hike Piestoa Peak or Camelback Mountain or whatever, and you end up, you end up experiencing that. You, 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 you not only see God's goodness, but you can feel it in the textures out there. You can smell it. You can um, hear it. Sometimes it's through the silence, which is beautiful. I often think of the hearing sense in terms of singing praises to God and listening to you guys sing on Sunday mornings when I'm uh, standing in, in the wings, but also proclaiming uh, faith comes by hearing and that by the, uh, the word of God. Just all of those senses that, that he's created us with primarily so that we can taste and see that God is good. We taste him, but we see that he's good through all five senses through his uh, creation. Um, what time is it? I, I got to check time to see where we are. I'm sorry. My watch broke, so it's a Target watch. Oh, my goodness. We better wrap this up. Um, we're going to be telling a little bit more about the acquisition story. You've heard a lot of it. Um, uh, it just because of how God worked in the midst of that, it's, it's clearly a God thing and not, and not a man thing. Um, but he's given us the opportunity now, so we're going to move in, plant roots, and establish this faithful presence. And, and uh, again, John 1.14 in the uh, Message Bible that, that Jesus took on flesh and blood and moved into uh, the neighborhood. Uh, we'd ask you to take those uh, print pieces with you and, and don't do anything with them necessarily today, but be praying over them and discuss them uh, with anybody that you need to discuss them with. You can certainly contact us. Um, when you're ready to drop a pledge card uh, uh, off, you can, you can just do it in the, in the giving boxes back there. Uh, obviously, what we're asking for is something over and above our regular giving, so it's going to take some discussion and some um, prayer, and, and we appreciate that. But overall, uh, that's, just, that's just a part of what we're looking for. We're looking for prayer. You guys have been a praying conversation for a, lo- a congregation for a long, long time and continue to be. Prayer is really the, the catalyst that's gotten us to where we are uh, today, so continue to pray. Uh, we do want you to continue to give. You've also been, for years, a generous congregation. It's why we have $175,000 in overage that we can already put towards, um, as a congregation, towards the acquisition of this property. And then join us. We want you to join us as well. Uh, let me pray, and Cody will come up, and we'll do communion and, and sing our last song. God, uh, we thank you for what you are doing in Arcadia. It's amazing. It's amazing how you have shown off your faithfulness to us, and, and how we get to return that faithfulness empowered by your Holy Spirit and by the works that you have done in us and through us and that have given us to do uh, even before you made us. So God, thank you for that. God, give us again, as I always ask, the courage to be able to live out the gospel in our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.